0: This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Testing. Yep, we're on. Yes. Yes. First of all, do you wear deodorant every day? You no, never. Day? Never?
1: No. <laughs> I don't really sweat in my body, just in my head. So, And I take a shower every single morning. So just I'm, I am uh, without scent.
0: <clears throat> I, total, I totally get that. understand that. It's not a problem. My problem is with when you said that you shower in the mornings. Yeah? You I don't find do find this disgusting... Perverse. Really? And sickening that every night you lay down into your own filth.
1: Oh, you think I should shower in the evenings? Yes. Well, to me, showering has a lot more to do with waking up than it does with cleanliness.
0: I see. Well, we have uh, we have drugs for waking up.
1: I know. I need all of it. I need every. I need to be firing on every cylinder to wake up. In the you morning. want the coffee? The I shower. need I need the shower. I need the sunlight. I I need every everything. Otherwise, it's a three hour process, and I want it to be fifteen minutes. So,
0: do you listen to something in the mornings?
1: Yeah, yeah. I have a very fixed routine. I am sure you do. <laughs> so, so yeah, worship music, and I just try to worship the Lord for for a couple of songs. Uh, and then um, then I do a bunch of journaling and Bible reading, and then I turn on my instrumental music as I start to do my writing for the day.
0: Are you listening to uh, music in the shower? No. You listen to instrument, instrumental music while you're writing? Yes. And you write every day? Yeah. I can never listen to music. Really? And think or read or anything.
1: Well, you're a little more musically inclined, I think. So yeah. do you do you tune in to yes, that frequency. It fascinates
0: me <laughs> too much.
1: Yes. If I well, there's certain <clears throat> music where, and that's definitely the caveat. I can't. It's got to be background. You know, I can't mm. be too interested in it. Yes. So it actually helps over time for it to become really familiar, and then it just sort of inspires a certain level of energy as yes. opposed to curiosity, yes. which would really throw off my writing for sure
0: yes alexa only exists in one room in my house yeah but really the only thing i use alexa for is is she has this station which is called um classical for focus Ooh, that's good it's good stuff yeah
1: i have to check that out
0: um last last nonsense question (laughs) and i'm fascinated by people who keep such tight routines because it's not Mm. me at all Mm. what's your breakfast
1: i don't eat breakfast I do the whole intermittent fasting thing. Oh, you do so this purposefully. Yet. This is yes. a health choice. Yeah.
0: You begin eating at 11 a.m. or something.
1: Yeah, 11:12. So what I drink, I drink coffee, a little bit of cream. And uh, my friend Chris Cirillo, if he's listening, he, he pointed out turmeric uh, superfood creamer. So I throw a little bit of that in my second dose of my, my espresso in the morning. And then I get... I get to, um, I try to eat a really healthy lunch, and then I let myself go just go in dinner. I just, just like I went debauched. to donuts. <laughs> yeah, I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. I need to go to bed by ten thirty so I don't destroy my health. You know, at around eleven thirty, it's like okay, what else is there in the that I can consume that's <clears> terrible <throat> for me?
0: <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I haven't officially officially uh, introduced him, and I'm sitting here with Jeremy Pryor. And Jeremy fascinates me for a number of reasons. One is because he has this monotonous rigor about his life where he, is, <laughs> he has thought through everything that he does. Um, and, I find uh, it thrilling, personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so monotonous. I don't mean it's boring. I mean consistent. That's yeah. what I mean when I say monotonous. Um, so... Uh, Jeremy Pryor we're, we're here at his at his home he lives in this little town in northern Kentucky just across the river from Cincinnati part of greater Cincinnati and this little town that he lives in is re- it's everyone in Cincinnati thinks that Fort Thomas is the most Mayberry of all <laughs> of all surrounding uh, towns in Cincinnati, Fort Thomas is where we come on the 4th of July oh, for their yeah. quaint parade, which includes the Shriners in their tiny little cars and the mar- the, the high school marching band. And it's really quaint. It's v- right. very Americana. Um, and in this little town, you have created this little hotbed of um weirdos who (laughs) think the way that you do and which i'm one of those people too um but i think one of the first times i ever came to your house let me just describe your house for people at at the front of jeremy's house he's got like a three-tiered garden which you know i'm sure there's some there's some homeschooling student learning that happens out (laughs) in your gardens there there's a massive front porch (laughs) Where you can host, you know, a, a meal of thirty people out here. He's got this house, which he's added on to two or three times on the back of your house because in his home lives Jeremy's parents mm-hmm. and your mother-in-law. Yeah, and your adult uh, daughter mm-hmm. lives sort of on her own, but yeah. sort of sharing it's a some duplex. That she's next door. Yeah. Um. You've hosted foreigners in your home for extended periods of time, You hosted families in your home, and um, you guys are doing life and family and as we'll get to your work in a way that um, pokes the eye of the American dream, which Mm. is really exciting. So that's where we're going to get to his book. Okay, the point, of the, you might have, we might have promoted this at some point. The point of this conversation is to talk about Jeremy's book, which is called Family Revision. And just to describe how I came to the book, you'll talk eventually, Jeremy. That's just, okay. No, just this is really exciting. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, when I was um, making the, uh, disciples as a 20, three-year-old single guy. I was talking to God about being a father and and raising children. And he told me um, that in the disciple-making I was doing of men younger than me, so I was shepherding uh, high schoolers and college kids, and he told me, um, I'm training you how to be a father. Hmm. When I was you know, single. And, um, one thing that, that kind of surprised me in that process was when I, when he challenged me, I felt his spirit challenging me to be more demanding of, of the guys I was spending time Mm. with to call them out on sin, Mm. say that's unacceptable. Um, and to, I'm retroactively using this word, but to have some kind, some degree of punishment towards those guys (laughs) as a parent would and to give them my disapproving scowl Hmm. um, and never to let that compete with my love for them. Hmm. And the fact that I was committed to our relationship and committed to what God wanted in their lives, but that there had to be a turning up of the heat to produce what God wanted in these guys' lives. And the Lord is telling me along the way, I, I'm training you. Now, when, when my wife and I were married, <clears throat> I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to give a couple of references because your book is going to play into this on, on my third iteration. But the second <laughs> example comes to mind. We had no kids, and I didn't really understand training, really. It's always the, the, the verse that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it when he's old has always baffled me because we've, Mm. we've all seen families that raise kids, they're Christian families that go to church and then their kid spins out in college and they leave the Lord and the end. And so it's always, I've always asked been asking God, what does it mean to train a child? And I didn't understand that at all. And we didn't have kids. We're married and we took in We house sat a dog, I think, for, it was a long time. It was either like three weeks or a month. This lady who had an Mm. extended stay in the hospital, and she went and traveled this family. This tiny little dog, it was a terribly behaved dog. And I went and I found a book at the library called How to Have a Great Dog in 15 Minutes a Day. Mm. And the Lord told me, I'm going to teach you something about training with this dog. And so I read this book. I started this was it was an older dog so it shouldn't be easily trained but I was consistent with this dog followed what the book told me to do and by the time we gave the dog back to this lady it was waiting for us to go through doorways oh it would gosh. sit on command <laughs> that's awesome um, it would you know it would take walks with us and sit and wait you know mm-hmm. while if traffic or other dogs went by etc and the Lord was telling me, I'm I'm setting you up so that you'll be ready when I give you the precious treasure of your children. Mm. Now, as married, childless people, we were having a ball. We were yeah. just living <laughs> it up. And it's really funny how, um, well, I believe that family... Family really happens when that first baby comes along. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like on an extended date when you're when you're <laughs> I know what you mean. first married, yeah. but family happens <clears throat> like when we had our child. It was like we we're a family, and I I just felt I had I had had a lot I had several data points that told me where we're going. There are no roads. That's just what I just mm-hmm. felt that I I can take bits and pieces of my father and some a couple of friends and yet i i don't know where we're going exactly and then i don't remember how i came across it i don't remember how it came up in a conversation you and i had or what how this got passed to me but way back in the day you had spent time making a document a word document i guess yeah that was I don't know eighty pages long yeah. something like that yeah it was pretty long yeah and it was this it was this family revision um, book and reading that um, there were just several I've, I there, I really find this a precious experience with a book when you you've hit on an idea you need to close the book you put it down and then just lean back in your seat hmm. and go. What are the implications of that idea? And I, I remember doing that many times with your little uh, document that got passed along to me. And I remember I came to you at the time and I said, Jeremy, this is a book and it needs to be expanded and revised and put into book form. <laughs> and people yes. need to be able to pick it up with paper and read it. Hmm. And your response was, great, feel free to do that. (laughs) Um, But first of all, kudos for writing a book. Oh, thanks. Uh, It's not something I've done. And and Mm -hmm. you like you getting up in the morning and spending time every day to write a book. Seems like incredible discipline to me. So thank you for writing this book. It has dramatically impacted my family and all of the people that I have influence over. Um, because it so starkly contrasts the accepted method of doing family, and what what we're rediscovering is yeah. the biblical pattern for doing family. Now, tell me how hmm. you started, why you started writing this, hmm. um, and how you and how you came up with some of this content.
1: Yeah, man. Well, um, it definitely was the Lord doing things in my life. I mean, you can see in the story of like how I encountered families different coming from Seattle, being in Jerusalem when I'm 23 years old and encountering a different idea of family. Um, and I, I started to write it um, in Jerusalem, actually um, Our mutual friend of ours, Bob Gorman. Um, I met him in Texas and he's a prophetic guy. You could talk a lot more about him, but he's a, he's an amazing guy. Anyway, he, the first thing he said to me basically in that my first meeting with him is God gives you blueprints from Jerusalem. It was like a prophetic word. And I, I think the reason, like, I couldn't stop writing almost when I was there. Um, there was something that just kind of really flowed for me creatively and um, spiritually. And so, yeah. You just
0: felt like light bulbs were coming on for you. Yeah. And you had to transmit it somehow. Yeah.
1: Um, that that was a big part of the story. And another another piece of it, though, I, would, I, I think I should say is another mutual friend of ours who's very prophetic, David Sheldon. We were hanging out in the lobby at Crossroads is before I... One um, on this latest trip to Jerusalem where I started writing. This was probably eight or nine years ago. And David and I were having a great conversation, and he got up to leave, and he walked about four steps away, and he suddenly turned around, you know, and you know you're in trouble. <laughs> when David suddenly gets away. <laughs> he a word, got like, that look. Yes, he got he look. look. And he looked at me, and he's like, I see a rusty tool on your heart. And he just, then he walked, he you know, took that three or four steps back, put his hand on my heart, and just asked the Lord, like, you know, bring this back to life. Like, and, and something like I felt it snapped because I could not write mm. until then. Like, I really, I, th- it just was not something was there was a, something blocking. Mm. And I had had multiple times where people, you know, that were prophetic just said, I see you writing. I see you writing, you know. And I was like, I don't write. I don't mm. know how to write. I just don't have the energy for it. Like, I just don't, nothing really flows. It feels really clunky. Mm. Um, but yeah, after. That experience, and then shortly after, I was in I was in Jerusalem for an extended period of time, and just every morning got up and, and just found it pretty easy to write, you know, five hundred words or so a day, and started flowing out of me.
0: So, what was the epiphany of the book?
1: Um, that the, what you described—that mm-hmm. we actually don't don't know what family is. Um, we it's it's the it's the uh, question no one is asking. Everyone thinks they know what family is. Um, we think in our culture that family is a springboard for individual success and that's not it. when we didn't create it so we don't get to define it. Um, we need to go back to the original revelation from the Lord we're dependent on his revelation to understand what it is what was in God's heart when he created this thing called the family and that the reason why the modern family is so dysfunctional is because we don't we literally don't know what it is. Um, and I think that uh, through the book I really started working out, Um, you know, studying all these different passages of the Bible, and the best sort of uh, definition that I was able to just capture in a few words was a a multi-generational team on mission. Um, I really think that that's much closer to what was in God's heart. If you read Genesis 1, the way he designed the family to be a team, the way he designed the family to accomplish things, the way he designed them to work together, the way he designed them to work together across generations. And I think that the misunderstanding about family that we have in the West, that it's, you know, a nest that we uh, sort of for a period create a nurturing environment for the chickies and then send them off into their individual lives. Um, that That is a very broken idea. It doesn't inspire men. It doesn't make sense of what why there is a multi-generational component to family. It doesn't make sense of why we'd sacrifice greatly for family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it's so weak in its ability to keep the family cohesive and working together, that it just is—it falls apart everywhere it's believed, and it's believed almost universally in our culture, including the Christian culture, which is a tragedy that has led to more suffering than I think we'll ever know uh, for children, yeah. for women, for men, for families, for generations, and we got to stop it.
0: Yeah, I agree with your contention that the inventor of a concept gets to tell us it's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. And you can see the knock on for you talk about the concept of family, but there's knock ons to, well, then, then what's marriage? Yeah. So We need to go to, to the inventor of marriage and find out what's the, what's the mechanism and the purpose of marriage. What is parenting exactly? What is that? What is that covenant relationship about? Um, what is a sibling relationship about? what what is grandparenting exactly and right. you, you get into all of those things in the book and um i'm gonna read a, do you still use the do you still use the terms um classical and western family when sure. talking about yeah. those two concepts and what, yeah. what do you mean by classical family
1: I, I so so we can talk about this as a biblical concept but i think it's important to understand that it's actually it's actually deeper than just that it's if you um, every other time in history, the idea that family is a multi-generational team on mission um, is just how family will independently erupt everywhere in the world at every time and it has everywhere in the world at every time. Unless you're living in a culture where incredible wealth and social engineering has changed that. Mm-hmm. So and this would happen tomorrow if suddenly um, starvation was a real possibility. And uh, people were dying of diseases, and there was just a lot more um, like war and bandits, and there wasn't a great police force. Immediately, uh, families across America would turn into multi-generational teams on mission. Yeah, they would turn into that um, because uh, you know how are you gonna if you know that you're going to potentially be killed, you know, um, if you're half a mile from your house without support, then you need a team, mm-hmm. and who's gonna be there for you? Well, it's going to be your family, mm-hmm. and um, and if you're if you're going to care for the young and the aged in in a context like that, then it's going to become multi generational. And in order for that to be cohesive, you're going to have to tell those stories or why we stay yeah. together. And then if you have any concern for society at all, you're going to want to try to change it and affect it in a good way. And that's going to mean you're going to be on mission. Mm-hmm. So I call it the classical um, idea family because it's it is how family is is sort of obviously it's like not it's not an idea that you have to. Have a philosophy degree, or even study the Bible to arrive at. Mm-hmm. Um, now the Bible assumes it, um, and then it tries to redeem it. So there's actually broken things about the classical idea of family, not broken in the sense that it doesn't properly describe what the family is, which is the problem we're struggling with, but the classical idea of family doesn't actually articulate why the family is. We need divine revelation for that. So what mission are we supposed to be on? Fruitful and multiply, fill the to do it, make disciples of all nations, like the, the missions given in The revelation of Scripture really um, preload the family with a clear mission that I don't think you can get without divine revelation. Mm -hmm. So the what the family is 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 sort of innate, right? Unless you live in a culture that is so safe, so wealthy, so stable that uh, you begin to become obsessed with individualism over family, yeah. And that's kind of where we find ourselves,
0: yeah. What you do in the book is that you uh, define some terms. You know, you set up the the clash between classical and Western family. <clears throat> you you talk about what the implications would be to each member of the family, and then you just run with, here's, I don't know how many things, you've got 50 things to think about the the implications of walking this way. So you... You go into finances, you go into what hobbies would look like as a family, et cetera. I'm going to read one of the, uh, just a section from early on when you're talking about um, the father Um, and you're describing um, what a classical father's um, motive and identity would be. So the classical father, this is the guy running the biblical multi-generational family on mission. He sees his individual identity primarily as a subset of the family identity. His family is an inseparable part part of him, and he is part of his family. This doesn't solve every every family problem and even gives rise to new challenges, but imagine for a moment how much more of a secure environment this creates for children. Recent stats have reported that 60% of children in the U.S. will spend some or all of their childhood living apart from their biological father. This level of father neglect is impossible to imagine in a culture holding a classical philosophy of family, but it's unsurprising in a Western context. The adoption of a Western philosophy of family has done more to destroy the lives of children than any other single cause. Ooh. A father in the classical paradigm identifies at a far deeper level with his children as his children thinking of abandoning his family would be like imagining cutting off his right arm because he sees each of them as part of himself and we'll you'll go into talking about how these children represent his future wealth they represent his security they represent the legacy of his life his life's work is built into these children in addition to his identity being so intricately tied up with his fathering he would see building family as a central element of his purpose in life now that that's real. I mean, that's a really challenging statement even to consider the way that we were raised in the church house. Right. And even the, you can even see when I was talking about the, the different facets that are implicated by church, by by family, a definition of family, church is one of those that's right. things. It's implicated because one, we see that church can do many things to divide a family. It can pull families right. apart. And it can also say this happens every day in every state right now in 2020, um, that the church is the the church institution. I don't mean Jesus's bride. I mean, the institutional church regularly tells people that they should prioritize the church organization over family. Right. Um, So I'm going to read that sentence again. The classical father would see building family as a central element of his purpose in life. A father who sees himself as a member of a family team views work as a part of how he is helping his family succeed, not as a separate endeavor around which he builds his own individual identity. So he doesn't go to work to, to find identity. He takes his family identity into the workplace. Right. Every morning when he goes to work, it's as if his family is sending him out on a mission to strengthen them by bringing back resources. And since a family team thinks about family multi-generationally, this father prizes efforts that will provide for his family not only in his lifetime, but also long after he's gone. He wants to secure assets and therefore opportunity and stability that can be passed down to his children and his children's children. Family is his primary team right comment
1: (laughs) yeah so that's that is such a tension in our culture so the the way that i'm trying to describe there is again if you you have to imagine you have to understand if if you believed as a father that your children would likely die if you didn't provide for them if you if you believed as a father that your parents were not going to probably make it if you didn't provide for them um you you'd have a very difficult choice immediately right to to build a very strong family um and all the responsibility that would be heaped on your shoulders as a father who suddenly feels like there's no safety net i have to i have to build something yeah And, and and then and if 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 everything you're building is is fairly at risk then you'd be thinking about your grandchildren immediately like well of course if i want to build something like that i need to make sure they're secure and that their children are secure. This, fa- like, so, so you. It, this is just sort of common sense. It just makes sense in a particular context. It doesn't make sense in our context. Um, what, what, what we've been told is, look, you're really not necessary as a father. I mean, you, you kind of, it's, you, you have a like a, a moderate impact on maybe the provision level of your family. Maybe your wife could provide if they don't. The government will provide. Your spirits, the spiritual life of your children, isn't really. You're not going to impact it super positive one way or the other the the church really will probably take care of that for you Um, and and this has really given rise to to um the family or the houses of the recreation center and dads like we've been relegated to this tiny tiny responsibility of of um you know maybe male figurehead um and you know the like larger amounts of provision. So if you really want, like, then that could be suspect. Like, well, do my kids really need more? They're not going to starve if I leave right now. Yeah. Um. And, um. And so our job is so small. And it's
0: the sitcom dad. The, yeah. Exactly. The doughy goofball that <laughs> yeah. drives the family car. Yeah.
1: Have fun. Like, tell a joke. Tell dad jokes. And, you know, I get it. Why in the world would a father uh, sacrifice the greatest years of his life for that? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just. Um, it's a, it's a really very badly um, conceived idea, fatherhood, right. and uh, and so, but but it or is
0: perfectly designed. <laughs> yes, by malicious yes, actives.
1: It, well, certainly, it does feel like if you see the amount of suffering this is creating, um, uh, it does seem like there's probably a personal evil behind it. i would def- I would definitely believe that, and so, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm trying to tease out, and I also want dads to know that a lot of times we feel this crushing it's really hard to transition from imagining that that's what your life is going to look like. um, That you're going to really pursue your identity mostly through work, through maybe sports, through friendships, through hobbies, and then to suddenly um, feel like you have this tremendous responsibility for your children, for your grandchildren, for your parents. Um, And, and so I think a lot of, for a lot of men, this is not good news. Um, um, So I think that I have a lot of empathy for that because that's how I first received it. Mm -hmm. I was really like, Oh my gosh, like, can I not believe this? Like, is mm-hmm. there option? You know, can we just stick with option A? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I, I experienced immediately was just the. I it made sense of what I was experiencing, particularly when I had started having children. Uh, what I was feeling and how I just felt, like I, I'm I'm a part of something that goes back for generations. Now I'm I am now building something that that appears to be. Um, Extending for generations, I don't think there's anything more meaningful I can do with my life Mm -hmm. than invest in that. Um, And so, like that, that realization for me allowed me to embrace it Um, because it's not, like I said, it's not hard to embrace. It's not easy to embrace if, if you you just if you really did enjoy or were looking forward to the kind of low maintenance Western dad life that many of us, I think, imagined um, or maybe chose to completely opt out of you know, and just like go with the dog or avoid even marriage or, you know, something like make sure you have as few children as possible Mm -hmm. that you can negotiate with your wife so that that meaning and that responsibility can be minimized.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this, uh, because what we talk about around Abraham's wallet is a lot, a lot of times funneled through the lens of finances. So what are the implications for somebody who's trying to Trying to explore our way from okay, I know that the American dream isn't God's dream. I want to move more towards a multi-generational, classical, biblical idea of family. What are the what what about work and finances? What are what are a couple of implications?
1: Build an enormous arsenal of resources and train children that can steward those things. Like like that's what I would recommend. Like we, it is. We have, a, we have a mission, an enormous mission given to us by Jesus to make disciples of all the nations. It's going to take a lot of, of coordination to participate in, in a project that essentially is world domination, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not coercive world domination, but it's like wooing and winning and believing and training, and it's a huge job. Mm-hmm. And so I love that mission. I'm on that mission, but I'm only going to be able to affect a very small amount of that in my lifetime. And so what I wanna make sure I do is strategically think about how to position my family to be maximally effective for the kingdom of God, and that that, that effectiveness exponentially increases generationally. And that is very, very possible. It's within, yeah. it's within the, uh, the scope of every person, every father listening to this, because you are the head of something that multiplies uh, across generations. That, mm-hmm. is a tr- that is a tremendous resource. And and the fact that that the church doesn't understand that is such a tragedy. Um, so what does that look like financially? So what? I, why I meant by a a arsenal of resources is is um, I mean, imagine if you, So I I mean, we try to have try to have as many kids as we could. We saw them each as a blessing. Um, we're working to train them and work with them. You know, uh, now into their adulthood, we are trying to understand and release them and whatever mission and callings that they have. And as this is spreading out, it's expensive, very expensive mm-hmm. to do this. And <laughs> yeah. uh, who's, who's going to uh, um, sponsor that, that effort? Because I want my children, and I want for our generation, for their generation, and for the second, third, fourth generation, for all the generations, I want, mm-hmm. the, I want the callings that they're stewarding to be maximally effective for the kingdom. And so there are, there are a lot of barriers to that mm-hmm. um, in terms of our, our, our ability to access our own time And so if you are locked into a very, uh, a spot where you can see 10, 20, 30 years from now, you're going to, your work load from a time perspective is going to be gobbled up by other families or other other initiatives outside the family. Increasingly, that is the trajectory of most fathers. That is not a good trajectory for Mm -hmm. a multi-generational family. What you wanna see is I'm gonna bear the burden in my youth to work really hard to find ways of providing resources and income. I'm gonna invest those things in assets and then those assets are going to allow me to decrease the amount of time I'm spending right. outside the family mission, so that I can increase the amount of time as the family begins to expand exponentially into the next right. generations. Yeah. And one of the great things that we we have to look forward to today <laughs> is that we're going to live longer. You know, you're, you're most people listen, listening to this, unless something dramatic were to happen or Jesus are, is going to return, you're going to live into your 90s, most of you. And that's that's a weird thing to 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 know that. Fifty percent of you or more are going to live that long. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see your great grandchildren. Many of you are going to see your great great grandchildren. So you're going the the majority of the fruitfulness of your life is likely to happen in your sixties, seventies, eighties, because you will have access to so many more people that are that are going after the family mission. Right. And man, that's going to be that's going to take a lot of research. You're going to want to invest in all of those different initiatives. Uh, You're going to want to be a part of those things. You're going to want to uh, provide your wisdom and leadership uh, into those things. And so if that's your trajectory, if that's what you're desiring, then man, if you're in your twenties or thirties, you better, you better be designing your life in such a way that maximizes when you are going to be at your peak of fruitfulness, which is not when you're 20, Hmm. not in a multi-generational family. It, it, It exponentially increases over time. So if you're... You know if you're in your full faculties and you're 90 years old, th- th- likely that will you'll will not be able to outpace the fruitfulness you'll be able to create at that point in your life. At any other point before that,
0: is that greedy to want to amass um assets?
1: If it's for the sake of your own personal comfort, it is. If it's if it's if the if the ambition is essentially selfish, then it is greedy. The difference between you know, greed and, and why stewardship is the, is the end you're aiming at. Mm -hmm. And if the end you're aiming at is not your kingdom, but God's kingdom, and you're actually able to ensure that, and you're not providing lavish comforts on your children and saying that the vision for these resources is for our own benefit, um, then I would say that it's just wisdom. It's like, and you want to, and so for some people that they might say, well, I don't feel like I'm good at that. Maybe I'm better at amassing spiritual capital and passing that on, then I would say, yeah, that's, I definitely wanna be open to whatever paths might be sort of diverse in terms of what you're passing on generationally. We all should be amassing spiritual assets and passing those on. But I don't, I think that we have to be honest about the impact that financial assets have on the freedom that you have to amass and pass on spiritual assets. That's what These I things want. are interrelated. You know they're yes. not they're not just in a in a forced rank priority scale. They're also they affect each other greatly. And the financial assets tend to, tends to affect people um, um, more as time goes on in terms of both directions. You tend to be able to have more opportunity to further things the older you get, and you tend to be more limited yeah. by by the lack of those resources yeah. the older you get.
0: I I'm as you know I'm very interested in laying an axe. To the tree um, that says that we're more spiritual, when we have less right. when we manage nothing, um, and when at the end of the day, um, you know, we have earned just enough to pay for ourselves and our right. casket, that's and right. it's over.
1: And I, and I think that that's actually that could be true if you're single. And I think this is one of the biggest misunderstandings in the New Testament. There was a narrative that said. Don't amass assets. Live a very simple life, whole, and, and give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. And that was a command and an instruction given in First Corinthians seven to single missionaries. And yeah. Paul even makes that clear. He says, if you're married, you're on a different narrative. You need to prepare. He says in First Timothy five, he said that your first responsibility is to provide for your parents. Your first responsibility. Like, and so if you're if you're running around, uh, you know, you're in a situation where you can sense. As your parents are getting older, you're you're more financially strapped. I mean, that's a really tough thing. You know what's going to happen in your 40s. You know that you're going to have more children. Yeah. And you know your parents are going to age out. Yeah. And they're going to need your help. That's a lot of responsibility. So yeah. if you're in your 20s or 30s, you've got to prepare for that heavy financial burden that's going to hit you in your 40s and yeah. 50s. It's going to hit most of us. And, and so to, to run around like single missionaries, like you're describing, and say, uh, but if you are single, then I do think you're on a different trajectory. Yeah. And I think that... There's another gift given to you, Paul says, which is the simple, undivided, wholeheartedly devoted to, to the Lord life, but he says you're divided if you're married because the kids are coming, and that responsibility for um, caring and honoring parents is also coming.
0: That was one of the, that was one of the great brain crashes for me, was that <clears throat> I had worked really hard from about age 17 to age 28 to live that way to live selflessly and to live simply and to be a giver even when i had almost nothing and lived mm-hmm. in what the government would say was poverty um that when i took on family it was a total mm-hmm. transformation that had happened to me because god bless god bless my parents but they didn't they didn't tell me now, we're setting you up so that you can further our legacy with your children and with your finances, and we want these things to build on, on each other. I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, let me just return to the point that um, regarding gathering assets. Yeah. Now, most people work for other people, mm-hmm. and when they start walking down this road of classical family, that you want to gather assets for your generations Mm -hmm. you start to think through i mean i remember having this conversation with my wife my wife used to work for campbell soup so she would do she was in sales so she would do these deals and i remember she'd do a four million dollar deal for campbell soup which is a family owned privately owned Hmm. company um and then they would give her, say, a ten thousand dollar bonus for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we she'd be dancing. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's so good. And they and I remember they whenever they send you their benefit statements, it would say something about being in the camp, you're in the Campbell's family. Mm-hmm. And she and so she <laughs> felt this loyalty to the company. And I remember going like, honey, you know, patting her on the shoulder. You're not part of that family. Yeah. I, I know that they call you that but I want you to just look at the numbers of what you generated for that family. And they gave you a tip for having given them $4 million. And you, you start to go through this process. It's almost a joke um, around Cincinnati because doing no small part to you, there's a, there's quite a culture of people who are understanding this thing and living it out. Well, there's, there's, I would say hundreds of families you probably know the exact number better than i do um but there's there's almost a a a cliche about the people who are walking um um, multi-generationally of starting their own businesses yeah why is that
1: well because the problem uh that you you articulate really well but but the problem that you're first run into is is a time problem Um, if you're going to build a multi-generational family and you're serving another family uh, and they're tipping you like you're describing, and you're really dependent upon their income, then over time, as you're getting older, <clears throat> you're, you you re- reach your peak impo- income potential, like 40s and 50s, you know, mid-50s, oftentimes in our culture, uh, when you can lead large organizations. And, and when you do that, your time is more and more and more implicated. Like you're going to be working 50, 60 hours a week. Um, <clears throat> and that's almost always completely apart from your family, apart from from investing in your own family's mission.
0: These are the exact same years when your children right. are between the ages of say ten and eighteen. Right. Those, those fifty-five.
1: Yeah. Well, for a lot of people at that stage, you, they're starting their own families and they're ready to uh, potentially work together. I I first had this thought when I was <clears throat> I was on a board. I had I had sold fifty uh, percent of my company to an investor, and I remember going to my first board meeting, and he was there. He was he was in his late fifties and there at the the boardroom table was his three sons you know um two of them were in their 30s one was in their 20s and we had a two-hour board meeting every month and i watched this family work together and this father speak like he would stop board meetings just on a dime and turn to his sons and teach them something about okay so you see this part of this pnl like and this guy had you know he's he'd owned multiple companies and these sons were going to inherit everything and so i was watching this take place and i I suddenly sitting there because my board meetings are getting interrupted constantly by this guy's teaching uh, (laughs) his sons. And um, I suddenly had this realization that this man is spending more time with his sons in their 30s than most fathers will ever get to spend with their children when they're in the house. And I just decided right then, I remember just made a commitment like, I don't know if this will happen for me, I don't know if I'll get to work with my kids in their 30s, but I want it to be an option. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how else to do that but start a business. Like Mm -hmm. how else am I going to have the option of working as a team with my children and spending 20, 30 hours a week with my son or with one of my daughters, if if uh, if they're working for another family and I'm working for another family, it, w- it just won't happen. Uh-huh. Um, and so I don't think this is for everybody. I don't think everybody has to own a business. I just think that uh, that's there's a series of, of things that we aren't talking about that that are predictable in the future. Right, And that if you really play out what happens in your 40s and 50s and 60s, as a business owner or as an asset steward, versus what happens when you are um, you're employed by someone else. Um, this problem gets more severe over yeah. over time. And so, uh, and what's really frustrating is that we're training kids, you know, going into college, that this is the best possible path. Like that. That's what probably really annoys me, mm-hmm. is that um, not only are we saying, hey, there's there's more options, but we're we're saying oftentimes that, hey. You need to get a very specialized skill, go into debt, um, you know, and, and this skill will only ever, you'll only ever be able to really make its maximal amount of money. If you make yourself lifelong subservient to some large corporation, which is owned by other wealthy families, um, you won't be able to serve your families in your forties and fifties. Um, now, a lot of people are getting out of that. Now, people change careers much more frequently today um, than they did even 20 or 30 years ago. And uh, and so uh, and, and entrepreneurialism is is much more in vogue today than it was, you know, even 20 years ago when we started our first company. Um, but I, I think that those are some of the things that we just haven't really we don't we, we need to see that. And you need to be. And for a lot of guys, I'm like in your 20s and 30s, sometimes the great thing to do is to whatever is gonna produce the most income. If that means you can work for a company and it's reasonably secure and you can spend a lot of time with your kids and you can um, squirrel away enough money to be able to invest in an assets, that can be a really good trajectory. Again, the goal, I think that I just, I wanna challenge every guy in the 20s and 30s, your goal is to have control of your time in your 50s, 60s, 70s, that it increases at that stage. Mm. If you have control of your time in your 50s, 60s and 70s, the likelihood that you will build a multi generational family is so much higher mm. than if you're, you know, being moved around by a corporation uh, in your fifties, yeah. and you know your family and you you're really trained your kids to be that, and so there's no way for them to get access to your time
0: mm.
1: when they're in their twenties and thirties. Like that is that is what kills a lot of multi generational families is that kind of transience um, and that there's no option for the family to work together to take. There's no way to recapture that bulk time that we give to the work day that 50 yeah. hours a week and so that's that's kind of where be on a trajectory that will give you access to that time even if it's may, maybe in your 50s you're going down to 20 or 30 hours a week in in some kind of you know external to the family job that's that's so much better than working 50 60 hours a week and for that to be your ambition like do not make it your ambition to work for another family right. for 50 or 60 hours a week in your 50s yeah like that is that that is something that um, I would just say, if you've been on that trajectory and you're, you're in your 40s or 50s, then there's lots of ways to redeem that. But I'm talking to guys who are in their 20s. Yeah, Don't make
0: that your ambition. So <clears throat> this book and the ideas in this book, from my perspective, I mean the narrative for me is that you, these light bulbs went off for you and you were living in Jerusalem for a little while. They squirreled down into your soul and then they exploded and ripped your life apart. So <laughs> right. tell me what, tell me what the implications were onto your career and some of the stuff that you're doing now, because now the ideas in this book have taken over your whole life. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they have. So, I mean, where I was at, I was really discipled really well um, uh, in terms of my a following of Jesus. But one of the lessons that I was discipled into is that business is bad and ministry is good.
0: Yes. <laughs> you can relate to this. Yes.
1: So, you know, I was taught that, hey, it's, if you can spend all of your time being paid to be a full-time minister, that that's the highest calling you yes. could possibly ever have, and I'm like, well, I want the highest calling. Like, yes. Why would I want to like a lesser calling Of course, like I want to give my life to what matters. Yes, and so I did, and so I, I spent you know about ten years in ministry, you um, know, going to go different schools. I every time I went to a new seminary or Bible college, I would take on a part time or full time job at a church, um, and I would just serve, 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 and as many hours as I could for the kingdom. Um, and <clears throat> and so that was the the narrative I was on. I was in a church at one point where uh, it was clear to me that they they had just decided that my job description um, would be X, but it was super clear to me and so many other people even in the church that God was opening a door that I was I felt like this was the Lord. And so I'd never been in a situation where I realized if I went to work tomorrow in this ministry job, then I'm going to be doing it for the paycheck. I know I'm going to be going right direction that is not in God's calling for my life and um, I just knew it and I didn't didn't know what what do you do in that situation I didn't have any other skills I had two little kids I was like you know we were living in a very expensive place and I just knew I couldn't provide for my family and I was like is this what you do you just you know you sort of just (laughs) you just sell out like is that Um, and I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and I was just crying in a car and I was just like I think I have to resign and I am scared to death Mm. and um you cried yes I cried I didn't know that you <laughs> had all any the emotions no. I'll be done. I cried
0: last night fascinating yeah oh well, um, that's wonderful yeah <laughs> just
1: <you laughs> come around me I'm very emotional especially around my family but um so I uh I had so I went um I read that really kind of weird little book prayer of Jabez which I thought was heretical maybe but I was like um, it, it, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. But there was a verse in the Bible where a guy did pray it's for true. blessing. He and I did. was like, I can't not say that it's that's there. in the Bible. It's there. <laughs> I read it. Yep. And I'm not sure why people are promoting this book the way they are. But um, I literally, I went, so I went to a park and I just said, I don't know that this is from the Lord, but I'm about to get really poor and my family's, you know. So I just cried the Lord. I said, God bless my family. And I meant financially. Two days later, I was um, uh, in my room it was like 11, 12 o'clock at night. And there's a very long part of the story. So I'll make it super short and just say, the Lord showed me a business and showed me basically where I could get a hundred thousand dollars in three weeks. Mm. I had no money. Um, But there was a warehouse in New Jersey. Um, This is the early days of the internet. And there were products there that I found that were selling on eBay for about five X what you could buy them for. And I turned that in and it was the Lord just sort of like handed me like seed money. He's like, he's like a good dad. He's Mm -hmm. like, son, I believe in you. I love that. I love that you asked, you know, me for this. Let me just hand this to you. You know, you don't have any skills. You don't know how to be a businessman. You don't know how to build assets. You don't understand all, any of that stuff. Here's a business and here's about a hundred thousand dollars of seed capital and I'm with you. And, um, it was just tremendous. I just can't, it's all the Lord. Um, it wasn't our skills. We just, I made one mistake after another in, in business and I continue to do so. And the Lord just continues to be a good dad and um, and help me out and so um, that's been my experience now today
0: let me throw in yeah. this a little nugget and then you just tell us what yeah. you do and we'll be done <clears throat> just a little nugget based on what you said I was at a conference in Israel last month and there was a non-believing rabbi that came up and took the stage this guy mm-hmm. was fa- fantastic and and what one thing he threw out was he said every time blessing is mentioned anywhere in the Bible the people who would have used those words in Hebrew their first assumption would be that it meant financial blessing mm-hmm. whenever they talked about bless- blessed are the poor mm-hmm. the assumption would be financial blessing yes spiritual blessing and peace and love and all that stuff but he just said it, it would be first financial i thought wow that is not preached. not the way we talk about yeah. it yeah yeah okay go on so what are you doing <laughs> these days
1: yes and i think I think obviously there's a, there's a challenge there in the new Testament where um, I think there's um, there's this tension that we feel where Paul says, don't desire to be rich. Um, And I've really wrestled with that. It's in first Timothy six. And I think that there's something that you have to be really careful to guard your heart from all kinds of greed. Jesus says, and I I really think that that has to do with um, you want to have the heart of a steward. Mm -hmm. Like you want, you want to be a good son. You don't wanna be personally wealthy for, and I think what he's describing there is for the sake of living a wealthy lifestyle right. or for the prestige um, or any of those things. Those are traps from the devil and yeah. they will destroy your life and they will destroy your multi-generational family faster than anything else that we're talking about. Um, so I just wanna, there's a lot there and I know you guys talk about that in Abraham's Wallet. But yeah, so t- today, um, you know, so we started five different businesses over the course of the last 20 years. That first business was a, a e-commerce company and started about 16 websites. The main one was around the Lord of the Rings. Sold that. Um, Nerd. Yes, I'm a huge geek and I love to just bring in whatever analogies <laughs> we can to.
0: You've got a little Rivendell over yes. there, a little model in your. All right, you set me up. River. So
1: what we're talking about, guys, every family needs to start a Rivendell. That's what we're saying. No, that's not what you're saying. Okay, go ahead. And then we started an internet marketing company. Uh, that kind of um, was merged mostly into Epiphio, which is a video production company. So we started that. I own. A chunk of that with um, three other partners and then we um, started family teams um, which is what we're getting to do with all this with the Beth keys um, if you guys know Jeff and Alyssa and um, it's been an incredible uh, like ride just for the last year and a half where um, it, we had a we had our annual summit, and we put on for the first time. You know, we articulated our mission in a little bit different way, where we put on there. We really believe the Lord has given our family the assignment to restore the biblical blueprint of family. So we put that on our family mission. Snap. And it was within six months, and it was a series of events where, um, you know, we started this partnership with the Bethkeys, and I got to work on the family mission instead of working to wow. fund the family mission. So it's been tremendous. Um, and then the other company that we have is, is a sewing studio at the top of the street where, um, my wife, um, uh, my mother-in-law and, um, uh, my oldest daughter really started that business and it's been awesome. They made a profit in their first year, which for a brick and mortar company, in a little town is, is unbelievable. Yeah. They're just crushing it. And, um, it's, it's been such a light in the community and such a great environment for us to get to experience our family and get to honor, especially April's mom. You know, she lost her dad a couple years ago, and so this opportunity for her to have an outlet for, you know, how she's built in the kingdom, and for that to really be wrapped up into how April is, um, you know, living out so much of her hours and and our family's mission and making money through that it's been awesome so that's that's kind of what we're working on now
0: great so if we if guys want to find out more about you yeah um what's what's the hub website where all of everything's at
1: family authentic. yeah familyteams.com you guys can see can see everything there so the book we have courses and um we have some live events And our israel tours we're heading out to israel uh tomorrow uh, taking a group and I why can't would wait. you take a group to israel because it's it's where you're going to see and encounter multi-generational family in the flesh. And I just want people to see it and experience it while we're going on all the major sites and experiencing a lot of what it means to see the Bible through the lens of, of what's going on in Israel. Um, we get to you know go and have a meal at a Orthodox Jewish family's house for Shabbat. You know, we get to see the way these multi-generational families and, and houses are even constructed. We get to track um, really the story of how in the New Testament, God really built the church through households. We'll see where Peter, you know, where he lived and Capernaum, which is, yeah. you know, Jesus is... In the first, yeah, Capernaum. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> there's all kinds of Hebrew ways to say these things. Um, but there's a great story there that almost nobody knows about really how the household was the, the kind of hub for ministry, um, you know, until about the third century. And you see it in Acts and you see it in the Gospels. And so we just want to like just talk about that and what the implications could be for these with families. with Peter's
0: a wealthy household. That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah the, the Zebedee household came out of Capernaum, um, and then you have we go to Cornelius's city of Caesarea and the first Gentile believing household um, that Peter was sent to. And so, yeah, getting to track that, see the history, but then also you know being immersed in the Middle East and seeing what it looks like where the the base assumption that everyone has is multi generational family. Wow, like that's what that's the air you breathe in Israel.
0: It's exciting. someday, yeah. Abraham's wallet will be with you yes. on those trips. Yes, we want to thank you guys. Well, <clears throat> just want to tell everybody, thank you for your time, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I just want to tell everybody if you want to start launching off of American family, the the failing blueprint that's blowing up in all of our faces and feeling pain all year you want to start getting onto. Um, the multi-generational biblical track, I strongly recommend Family Revision by Jeremy Pryor. You can find it at familyteams.com. It's on Audible and Amazon. Fantastic. Thank you, Jeremy. Awesome. Thanks, Steve.